Welcome to Technology Transfer IP. Technology transfer is the process by which valuable research, skills, knowledge, and technology developed by educational institutions is transferred to industry for development and to products and services that will benefit society. From basic patent licensing to promoting startups, entrepreneurship, and industry collaborations, while also investing in and managing technology developments. We bring you conversations with the leaders in technology transfer who will share their stories, including their successes, challenges, and expectations for the future. Here's your host, Lisa Mueller. Hello and welcome. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with James Hutchinson and May Lowe of the Kiwi Innovation Network, also known as KiwiNet. James is the Chief Executive Officer of KiwiNet, and May is its Chief Operating Officer. James is passionate about the important role that science and the scientific community have to play in growing the New Zealand economy into new high-tech and knowledge-based sectors, informing the public policy, and in changing the world for the better. James has experience in supporting research and innovation in the UK and internationally with a particular focus on the life sciences and global societal challenges. James has led a team of highly knowledgeable program specialists to develop and implement a program of science, policy, advocacy, networking, conferences, workshops, and other initiatives, all while working in close partnership with the international chemical science community. James is an experienced project leader with a strong track record of working with government, industry, and academia at senior levels. James is a junior policy fellow at the Center for Science and Policy at the University of Cambridge, UK, having authored over 20 pieces of science policy covering strategic reports, government consultation responses, and position statements. James has led a successful campaign to the UK government in 2013 on behalf of the broader chemical science community to protect public investment in science and has participated in several advisory groups and expert panels to government bodies and NGOs. James received a Bachelor of Science in Chemistry, Biology, and Pharmacology from the University of Auckland and a PhD in Chemistry from the University of Cambridge. May manages the investment committee and board meetings for KiwiNet and assists New Zealand publicly funded research organizations to assess the commercial potential of their technologies and expertise. May also helps maintain KiwiNet's financial obligations. May has a Bachelor of Commerce in Accounting and Commercial Law and a Bachelor of Science in Logic and Computation. Prior to her time at KiwiNet, May worked for BDO and PwC with experience in auditing, financial reporting, management accounting, and tax compliance. And with those extremely impressive backgrounds, welcome to the podcast, James and May. Tēnā Lisa. Thank you very much for having us. It's great to be here. We're really excited to be doing this. Well, thank you both so much again for taking part in the podcast. I'm really excited to have you both here And James and May, I generally like to start the podcast off by asking my guests about their journey to tech transfer. Could each of you please tell us a little bit about your backgrounds and how you ended up at YKTO and at KiwiNet? Sure, I'll start first. So I guess my journey into YKTO is I was raised, well, raised here from when I was seven years old and came back after I had kids and realized that I wanted to 
ensure that the ecosystem my kids are growing up into is one that is thriving. And I saw tech transfer as a means for them to do that. Mm. And the KiwiNet vision and mission really bought into my values. And that's how I ended up here with a background in auditing and financial accounting and reporting and management. I, I didn't see how that was going to fill my fill my cup and my soul. And KiwiNet was was my way out. <laughs> and it's been fantastic ever since. Wow, that's pretty amazing because, yeah, your background is finance and accounting. And I was kind of curious how you ended up in tech transfer. So that's a great, great story. How about you, James? Yeah, well, firstly, May is the perfect foil for me because I don't have a finance background at all. So we are a great team that working <laughs> together. We perfectly complement each other. So I'm a scientist by training. Um, so I did when I got excited about science at school, particularly chemistry. And I remember I had a, everyone's got that one science teacher that really inspired them. And for me, my chemistry teacher used to do lots of exciting things in the classroom with bangs and explosions. And so that's what got me into science in the first place. But then when I went to university, it was really about the power that science holds to transform lives and change the world. And I've always been passionate about that and still call myself a scientist to to this day. So I was able to go over to the UK to do a PhD. And then once I finished my PhD, I sort of had this sort of sense that there's more to this, that, you know, so often we see these wonderful scientific discoveries that get created, almost get stuck in the lab. And wouldn't it be great if there were more people with a deep knowledge of science and training like myself that could help turn some of these wonderful discoveries into real world applications and put them to use. So I spent about five years Uh, working in the field of science policy uh, for the Royal Society of Chemistry. And that was good fun because it was all about advocating for the importance of science, helping science to inform public policy, and actually looking at the broader system of science and innovation, how we fund and support it to um, benefit the UK. And then moving back to New Zealand in 2014 with my wife, I sort of looked around and thought, right, what can I do now? And I happened to stumble across because we ended up in the Waikato, this amazing organisation called the Kiwi Innovation Network. And this is when I was able to take another sideways step into commercialisation. And so now, really, it's such a wonderful uh, privilege to work across the country, helping to turn New Zealand's scientific discoveries into game-changing innovations that can not just grow our economy and grow prosperity in New Zealand, but actually make a meaningful impact on some of the big global challenges that we're facing. Yeah, and, and I just learned about KiwiNet recently myself, and I have a feeling many of our listeners probably aren't very familiar with it either. So could the two of you tell us a little bit more about it and, in fact, maybe how it got its start? Yeah, sure. I'm happy to kick off on that one. And I should say up front that KiwiNet, it sounds like an internet service <laughs> provider, but it's not. <laughs> so it's short for the Kiwi Innovation Network. And it, we've been going for over 10 years now. And the way it started is there were four universities or four university tech transfer offices in New Zealand that got together and sort of thought there must be a better way of doing commercialization in New Zealand. So if you think about where we're placed, we're a tiny nation down in the bottom corner of the Pacific Ocean. We're a small population. All of our research institutions are quite spread out. So we kind of struggle to build scale. We're quite isolated from the markets internationally that we're trying to reach, and we've got limited resources. So there were four universities that got together and said, why don't 
try doing something differently. We've always had a proof of concept fund in, in New Zealand called the Pre-Seed Accelerator Fund, where each organisation got their own little pool of money to play with. And so these four institutions got together and thought, why don't we pool our knowledge and resources and take a team approach to commercialisation rather than trying to go it alone? And that essentially became the foundation of KiwiNet, which back in those days was called Unicom, another awesome name that sounds like some sort of internet service <laughs> provider. .com, yes. Yep. That's right, <laughs> .com. And essentially what they did is they they went to the government and they said, why don't you give us a, a shared fund? So we'll pool our funds together. We'll set up a little investment committee and run some investment processes around that. And let's see how we get on. And so if we fast forward over 10 years, now what we've got is a thriving ecosystem of tech transfer offices that cover our universities and Crown Research Institutes in New Zealand that are working together to help to transform um, scientific discoveries into New, Z in New Zealand into new products and services. So al alongside the funding, it's now evolved. We've got a whole program of services and support that goes underneath that to help try and scale and uh, grow commercialization in New Zealand to achieve more outcomes. So how are you funded? Is it purely the government funding that comes in or um, do the universities kind of kick in and pay or they're is it multifaceted in terms of how you're funded? Yeah, that's a really good question. So how we're funded is primarily through the government contracts. So there's two government contracts um, that James alluded to in his previous answer. First one is the Pre-Seed Accelerator Fund. So that's a proof of concept funding um, for that. And it's really to get opportunities to a point of investor readiness, to, so to cross that valley of death. Um, it's, I guess I, sh I should reiterate that we don't actually take an equity stake. It's all grant funding here. Um, and pre-seed accelerator funding must be matched 50-50 with um, organisation funding so that ensuring that they have skin in the game and that they run alongside these opportunities to get them out to market. Um, and then alongside that, we have commercialisation partner network funding that funds the programmes of work that James mentioned to support and grow capability within the ecosystem. So that would fund um, some of the programs that we're, we're coming up to after this around researcher, entrepreneurship, um, commercial capability building and engagement with private sector. So speaking of programs, I think that's a good segue. Can you talk a little bit about some of the programs and other things that KiwiNet sponsors and supports there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think up front, um, the, the engine room of KiwiNet is our investment committee and that meets several times a year to review projects and to provide feedback and advice to projects as they're coming through, but of course to approve funding of um, to approve fu funding from our pre-seed accelerator fund. And that really forms the basis of the collaborative model. So not only does it enable the projects to be supported, it also provides an important opportunity for the community to get together for networking, for peer-to-peer -peer support. And that really is probably the heart of what's made the, the KiwiNet model work. And then alongside that, we've got all of our other programs that we're looking, that we do to help sort of grow and, and address challenges within that the, the system faces. So there's probably some key strands to that, the first of which is our researcher entrepreneurship programs. 
So that's really all about helping to encourage and inspire researchers across New Zealand to engage with and appreciate the role that tech transfer and commercialisation has in them being able to deliver impact. So there's lots of workshops that we have to sort of grow capability there. Um, Our Get Funded series of workshops have been running for a few years, which are based loosely on the Startup Weekend format, but have, have evolved. And so what the researchers do, they come together, they get together into teams around a particular idea. They have to pitch their idea at the start of the of the of the two days. And then they self-form into teams and develop that, develop a proposition and uh, and pitch to a panel of investors at the end of the at the end of the weekend. And so by going through that, they get to understand some of the foundation principles of commercialization. It's a really nice way for them to dip their toe into the water. Um, probably our flagship program within the research entrepreneurship piece is our emerging innovator program. So this is where we've identified some of those researchers out across the country that have got a bit of an entrepreneurial spark, and we're essentially trying to fast track them to success. So they're nominated by their tech transfer officers for the program, and what we do is we essentially load them with a whole lot of mentoring, capability development, support, as well as a little bit of extra funding to enable them to build up their skills over a six-month period, working alongside their mentor. And we've just been absolutely amazed at the impact that that program has had in helping to sort of drive this sort of culture shift and mindset shift uh, within parts of the research community, particularly where we've had innovators that we've funded within certain institutions where we've had a population or a certain cluster of them. They start to to play off each other and they start to really powerfully inspire their colleagues. So we've funded about 80 mm-hmm. innovators now to date over a, about years. And we're really starting to see that that culture change starting to take effect. And we've had a really high proportion of our spin-outs that have come out of our fund have come from our emerging innovators over the last five years. So alongside that, we've got our private sector engagement program. So this is at the other end of the pipeline where we're helping to sort of drive regular and early engagement with the investment community in New Zealand and internationally. And so I think what's quite nice about that is KiwiNet as a national organisation, we can almost help to be a bit of a front door for investors in terms of getting access to relationships with TTOs and to get a view of the pipeline of technologies that are coming through. And there's a whole load of relationships and sort of networking that we we do within there to help grease the wheels between private sector and our research institutions, as well as some programs that we run to help try and facilitate earlier engagement of investors with some of the projects that are coming through the pipeline. Alongside that, we've got a piece on uh, Māori engagement. So that's a very important aspect that's unique to Aotearoa New Zealand, which is our relationship with our Indigenous Māori and the obligations that we have under our founding document, which is the Treaty of Waitangi. And so there's a whole programme of work we have in play there to help our institutions to better engage with Māori, but also to build their own cultural competency and awareness of some of the important principles so that we can help to build those relationships over time. And that those programs are really about a long-term process of helping to build capability and relationships across the sector. Cool. And I'll speak about some of our other programs too. So alongside that, we 
run um, a pipeline committee, which is almost your second IC down from the investment committee. And we've run this committee now for a good five years. And what we've found is that it's a good um, learning ground, I guess is, is a nice way to say it, for those coming through the ranks that will eventually sit on our investment committee to build that capability, understanding of what to look for when you're making investment decisions and build the relationships at that second IC level too. So it's actually been a, a fantastic um, cultural building um, initiative for for us. And then commercial capability initiatives that help grow the, the resource of our TTO, so the people within there. And so that's helping place interns into TTOs um, and also secondments out of our TTOs into venture capitalist firms um, that then they take those skills back into their organisations when they return from their three or six months secondment. So that's been fantastic. And then our diversity, inclusion and equity initiatives, which include um, running unconscious bias training throughout all our committees and our offering that out to our TTOs as well, our professionals to uh, do that in our boards. Um, we also run the Women in Leadership Development Program in partnership with Branding Capital that, that builds the governance and leadership experience of women within the science sector. So that's been really powerful, placing them on boards as observers, going through governance training and coming out at the other end knowing whether or not they actually want to step into a board or leadership role or, and, and giving them help and direction on what that looks like on, on pathways to get there. So, yeah, that's uh, there's plenty that we <laughs> we get on with, don't we? And the awards. We oh, talk about course. the awards. <laughs> and there's more, I should say. That was a lot. And I was going to say there's a lot of programs, yeah. Yeah, we often get uh, – we often have some soul-searching, regularly have soul-searching about whether we want to do much, as you can yes. imagine. But I think the key thing with this in terms of our strategy and our approach is that all of these programs are there to try and un unblock kind of key bottlenecks that we see in the system. And I think a lot of those bottlenecks will probably resonate with um, text transfer folk in other countries as well, particularly around how researchers engage, how we build capability across our TTOs, how we're helping our investors and VCs to reach in. And then the unique things to New Zealand around um, how we work with Māori, the elements of diversity, again, that's that's a universal challenge. And then the Research Commercialisation Awards are our opportunity to all get together once a year as a national community and celebrate our success and bang the drum uh, so we can help to showcase to the public, to our government and to private sector of some of the great work that's going on, some of the success stories that are helping to make a real impact for New Zealand. Yeah, it's incredible the number of programs, like I mentioned before. And, and James, I did have a follow-up question for you. You mentioned the Emerging Innovators Program and, and the use of mentors. And you mentioned at the outset about New Zealand, you know, being kind of isolated and small country. I'm curious... Um, uh, what it's like finding mentors and, you know, has that been a particular challenge for your organization for some of these spin-outs and startups and given all these programs you have? Yeah, I mean, that's such an interesting observation that I would say historically in New Zealand, we don't have as much track record and depth as other countries, some other countries do in terms of our startup ecosystem. Um, that said, we do have a wonderful um, community of entrepreneurs and people that have experienced in technology and deep tech. 
um, that might have been in New Zealand, but also from overseas. That one of the thing, interesting features about New Zealand is that we're a population of five million people, and we've probably got about six million passports. <laughs> so there's a big diaspora of yes. Kiwis that are living overseas, and we are very lucky that we get a lot of people that go overseas, gain amazing experience and do some incredible things and then come back home to New Zealand and um, to, you know, for the lifestyle and often want to change gear. And we're, we have a, uh, we're lucky that we're able to tap into a lot of these people and people that have got a few gray hairs and scars on their back from having done technology commercialization in different contexts. And we're able to tap into their willingness to want to give back and to help the next generation of people. So at the moment, we've almost got a database of mentors that is too big for the number of opportunities or the funding that we've got to be able to support them all, which is a good problem to have. Exactly. But we're actually, as things are starting to scale up, we're actually starting to see a lot more opportunities to partner those people with some of the, the individuals in terms of our emerging innovators, but also to put them alongside some of the projects that are coming along the pipeline as well. So it's wonderful because it means that we can really kind of start to embed this idea of a team approach where everyone across the country within the innovation space is able to work together to help grow the pipeline and to support success. So we've mentioned tech transfer a little bit in our conversation so far. So I thought it might be good to take a step back and talk about maybe some of the differences between how tech transfer is handled in New Zealand compared to other countries, maybe the US and the UK, for example. Yeah, I mean, I would say up front that I think the playbook of tech transfer and commercialization is probably the same in New Zealand as what it would be in countries like the US and the UK. So when we look at, we've got universities and researchers and we've got really interesting discoveries that are coming through and we're trying to find a way or a pathway to market or a way to to valorize that or exploit that to create a new product or service in the market. I think in terms of the tools and the approaches that we would take and the, the methodology looks quite quite similar in New Zealand as what it would in other jurisdictions. I think the main thing that differs for me is probably the context in New Zealand for how we do tech transfer. And I alluded to that a little bit earlier in the piece about our geography. So one of the challenges we have in New Zealand, of course, is we're trying to commercialise into international markets that are quite far away from us. And we often find that, you know, if we were to just try and commercialise a technology in New Zealand, it just wouldn't be worth it because we're a country of only 5 million people. So the size of the market is too small. And actually, I think we would be shortchanging the the research and the, and the scientists, if we weren't thinking big and we weren't thinking global, you know, when we're talking about technologies that have an opportunity to have a big impact on healthcare or to make to mitigate climate change, I mean, why wouldn't we try and, and, and take that internationally? So I think that definitely changes the, the sorts of activities and the dynamic of how we do tech transfer, especially when we look at the, um, the broader... VC and innovation ecosystem in New Zealand is that our our startup sector is still very much developing. It's definitely growing quite quickly. And if I look at tech transfer in New Zealand and our startup system, it's become much more sophisticated and mature over the last 10 years or even in the last two years. I mean, if we look at VC in New Zealand, there's some data that gets thrown around about the the amount of um, capital that VC has raised in New Zealand over the last 12 to 18 months 
has already surpassed the total number of um, the total capital that's been raised since VC started in New Zealand 15 years ago. You know, so it's just really starting to scale up, and we're seeing a lot more. Uh, and the number of VCs, both new, starting in New Zealand, but also internationally, that are basing themselves here as well. So it's really kind of heating up, and we've almost sort of got a um, a competition for deals that we, we we never had previously. So that's changing the whole dynamic of um, of how tech transfer is done. Um, but I would say if I compare to jurisdictions like, say, the US in particular, I would say in New Zealand we've got still a developing entrepreneurial um, ecosystem. So whereas in the US there's, you know, really long established and um, capable uh, v- VCs and this culture of entrepreneurship that sits around a lot of our of the universities, that's something that hasn't traditionally been strong in New Zealand and is still developing. So that definitely changes the way in which we do tech transfer. So there's been probably, I would say, historically more of a focus on um, trying to do kind of licensing to to offshore companies or, or, or doing sort of um, maybe smaller scale deals with some of the New Zealand businesses. But we've certainly seen a shift towards doing much more um, startups and, and spin-out routes, um, but definitely kind of spin-outs that are much better structured from day one and have got the right fundamentals to be successful, which is a reflection on the fact that capability has really grown. And so we're starting to see that, again, that, that, that ecosystem um, really starting to build. And I think if I were to compare with the UK, one of the things I've been impressed with the UK system over the last couple of years is how the tech transfer community has really worked quite closely with their government to to really kind of understand the value proposition of tech transfer and to get much clearer on measures of success and some of the work that they've done with um, the Higher Education Funding Council of England to look at tech transfer metrics through their knowledge exchange framework has been quite impressive. And I think sort of that direction of travel is, is somewhere where I would like to see um, New Zealand go so that there's a much stronger understanding of the role that tech transfer plays in helping to drive prosperity and to support the science system so that we can um, all collectively agree on what those outcomes are and we can better support them. Yeah, and I think that's a really good segue to talking about involvement by the New Zealand government in tech transfer. Could you talk a little bit about that? And I'd be curious, too, do you have anything equivalent? You know, we have our Bayh-Dole Act here in the U.S. Uh, do you have anything equivalent there in New Zealand? That's a really good question. Um, the principles are the same. So we don't actually have a, an act that governs the, the fact that universities now own the IP instead of the government itself. Um, I think we said we could point to a ministerial minute or something like that, but there's no official <laughs> yeah, There's some one line somewhere, we're sure, from a, a cabinet meeting that, um, that puts effect to that. <laughs> yes, but essentially the principles are the same. But um, in terms of involvement from our the government itself, there's, there's actually not a lot. Um, the leadership itself is devolved to organisations like ourselves and our sister organisation called Return on Science, where we um, are considered the experts around tech transfer because we've got the got everyone under the tent. Um, but the biggest intervention piece that the government has played in New Zealand is a, a program called the Tech Incubator Intervention, where they went over to Israel and. Um, found the program called Tech Incubators where they would put in to almost circumvent um, TTOs and to connect the university directly into um, private sector 
rather than going through the tech transfer office itself. Um, and But the model has evolved from what has was originally brought here into New Zealand doing this three, four years ago now. Um, so it's definitely different and changed and for the better. So James and May, we've gotten to know a little bit about you and all that KiwiNet uh, has going on in terms of programs and events. And I know it's just not the two of you. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about your team. Sure. Our team is absolutely fantastic. And we, goodness, we wouldn't be here without them, really, and under James' leadership as well. So uh, we have a team that's that's located up and down New Zealand. We have an Auckland office that consists of Glenn and Rishi, and they look after our private sector engagement piece. Um, fantastic crew. They've got all of the connections into the private sector and really driven to take and connect people and opportunities into the into the best mechanisms they can for private sector. We have Seamus leading the researcher entrepreneurship piece and his deep experience and love of the science sector um, really does give him the social empathy, I think, with our researchers and the permissions then to go in and to form those relationships and and to, to build that entrepreneurial culture within them. Our marketing and communications team consists of Natalie, Megan and Kate, and they do a fantastic job doing all of the communications that come through from everything from our massive awards night through to all of our annual reporting, communications with government, ministers, all of that they handle so well. I can't, can't sing the praises enough. And then our operations team consists of myself. I lead that team alongside Dylan and Mindy. So we make sure that the, the engine is, is churning underneath all of that. Have I missed anyone? Manage the fund for you yes. guys as well. So the yeah. operations team look after the pre-seed accelerator fund and run the investment committee operations, which is mm-hmm. critical. And of course, all of the reporting that goes back to our government around success. And I would say that's been one of the massive advantages of having an organisation like KiwiNet around for over 10 years is that we've been able to build up a fairly consistent set of outcomes data over the years and, and longitudinally mm-hmm. that's enabled us to report back on on how we're generating success. And of course, we all know that tech transfer is a long-term game, right? The, uh, the 10-year overnight successes. And so it's been really good to be able to have that consistent data that the team has put together over years that have, have given us a really strong footing to be able to say to our government, our paymasters, that um, the, the tech transfer community in New Zealand is doing good things with the investment that we're getting and we're generating outcomes. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've also got two commercialisation managers, uh, Alexandra and Ellen, who work directly. They're sort of the, the the relationship managers that work with the tech transfer offices. So there's 18 organisations that are within the KiwiNet Fano or family, mm-hmm. and Alex and Ellen work directly with those stakeholders to basically make sure they're getting what they need from KiwiNet um, in terms of access to programs, but also importantly, helping them to work up projects and proposals for the investment committee and just generally helping to be a little bit of that glue that helps to um, to bring bring the system together. Um, but probably what I would say as well is beyond the, the management team, which are, there's about 12 of us in total, I think there's an important element here, which is the broader 
team of the, the KiwiNet family. And we've got an amazing um, board um, that really helps us out um, to steer and advise what we do and help to be our critical friends and challenging some of the programs and approaches that we make. They're extremely supportive and we really get a sense that they are part of the team and they contribute a lot of their own time to helping out with a lot of the programs and conversations that we need to be having with certain people around the country and, and things like that. And of course, our, 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 our member organisations, um, the, the 18, is that we've got a wonderful um, family of representatives that sit on our investment committee and also the people that work with them that are also committed to the KiwiNet mantra committed to the cause and collectively what we're trying to do for New Zealand. So if we didn't have that broader team, I absolutely would say that we wouldn't be achieving the impact that, that we do. And really the impact is, is created by our, our organisations. So KiwiNet is here to support and facilitate, but ultimately it's the deals that get done and the commercialisation that's happening within the TTOs that generates the success. And we really see our roles in helping to be helping our TTOs to be the best possible versions of themselves in their own context so that they can go on to generate the success. And so in that respect, they're part of our broader team as well. Wow. It, it sounds like an amazing community of individuals who really are pushing tech transfer in New Zealand and really want it to achieve everything that it can possibly achieve. So that's pretty amazing. And so, James, you were just talking about impact. And so I think that's a good segue for me to ask you, can you tell us a little bit about some of the economic returns within the last 10 years or so of some of the projects that KiwiNet has been involved in? Yeah. So, again, it, it's we've been quite lucky that we've been able to create some good longitudinal data. And we, we really look at the pre-seed accelerator fund to 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 measure that. And essentially what, what we're kind of doing is with the pre-seed fund is we're trying to take um, research discoveries, so um, disclosures that are coming into tech transfer offices and turn those into invest what we call investable propositions. So if we think about the, the gap that KiwiNet funding is trying to address, it's, it's getting from that disclosure through to something that has been taken up and led by the private sector. So when we're looking at outcomes, the initial outcomes that we that we look towards are where we're seeing high value license deals um, being formed with existing businesses um, or where we're seeing startup spin out companies being formed alongside private investment. So those are sort of the, the, some of the things that we've been able to track over time. And then looking further downstream from that in terms of uh, longer term outcomes and impact, that's when we start to look at some of the the economic outcomes that we're seeing sort of more broadly. So we can look at the number of jobs that have been created. We can look at the the quantum of follow-on investment that some of the spin-out companies have been able to attract. Uh, we look at things like the commercial returns to New Zealand businesses that have been incurred as a result of projects being taken up uh, within the private sector. And of course, we look at um, income revenue that's being generated by the institutions themselves. Um, but we're always very careful when we're talking about income to our research institutions that obviously that's important in terms of the sustainability of the tech transfer offices and in terms of the value um, within their own institutions. 
but actually what we're trying to achieve here is benefit to New Zealand. So when we're talking more broadly, we're really focused on talking about outcomes that are being generated beyond the institutions um, within the wider sector. And then the interesting prize beyond that is starting to think about the non-economic returns to the country. So again, it comes back down to the fundamental purpose of why we get out of bed in the morning. It's about getting technologies out into the world where they can make a meaningful difference to people's lives. So one thing that we're really starting to look at now, we still haven't cracked, is thinking about how we can see or measure ways, and it's probably more qualitative, um, of how we can see um, the impact of the work that's being done on things like um, the environment, on health and well-being, um, social measures and things like that. And of course, once you get down to those levels, you're looking at a, a much richer and more complex range of contributors. But it's always interesting to see the line of sight of how some of the technologies that have been commercialised through the KiwiNet model are starting to make an impact further downstream. Um, but what we definitely do know is that we've got, um, over, over the lifetime of the KiwiNet fund, we've generated a greater than eightfold return, financial return to New Zealand from the pre-seed accelerator funding that's been put in. And so that's a combination of uh, revenue to New Zealand businesses, including export revenue, as well as financial returns to our institutions. We also know that we've formed um, almost 70 um, startup slash spin-out companies um, the projects that we funded, we funded 163 projects, which have led to 523 commercial deals. And within that, there's been a lot of co-investment from business and lots of connections, important connections and relationships that have been established between New Zealand research organisations and with businesses and with investors. And I should say, over 600 employment opportunities that wow. have been generated stayed in New Zealand, which is critical. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, given that impact and economic return to the country, I, I'm curious what the two of you think is the key to success in tech transfer, given all that you've seen. So I think the key to success in technology transfer is really having a clear understanding of what the ecosystem within your working needs in order to be successful. And I think that's why it in for KiwiNet, we support quite a range of different types of programs, is that we understand that having engaged and empowered researchers are important. We understand that having strong relationships and connection with the private sector are important. And of course, you know, it goes without saying that you need to have um, funding. We're lucky in New Zealand, we've got our government proof of concept fund. And I think if I look at other jurisdictions, uh, particularly our co colleagues in Australia, that's something that they would love to have is something like our proof of concept fund over there. But if I was to pick one thing that I would pick overall, I would say having a really empowered tech transfer profession and empowered TTOs within institutions, because in the end, it's our commercialization professionals, our tech transfer professionals that are the rainmakers. They're the people that know what it takes to take an idea, work with a researcher, take something that's got the bones of something it could be, have promise, and actually turn it into reality. And it's a skill set and a profession that I think is often misunderstood or overlooked in the context of science systems. And I think it's something that resonates worldwide is that, um, you know, governments and probably vice chancellors and uh, leaders of research organisations don't always really understand 
the unique role that our tech transfer offices play in actually making the magic happen. And, you know, understanding, you know, how to validate a market or how to create a an IP strategy or how to have conversations with investors and negotiate and all of the things that make up the plethora of skills that we need to do good tech transfer. So, you know, I, I really think that, that it starts with having strong buy-in and understanding from our research organisation leaders so that they make sure that their tech transfer officers are well-resourced and are empowered and valued within their institutions. That, for me, is critical. Um, so in terms of that direction, but also they've got the autonomy to be able to do what they do and to do it well and to make decisions and take risks without having their hands slapped. And, of course, having the support behind them in terms of the resources that they need to to really maximise success for their institution. So, James and May, I wanted to ask you about external partners and the role they play there in tech transfer at KiwiNet. Can you give us some relationships with industry and some venture partners that you have? Yeah. So, again, I think that's the advantage of having a honest broker like KiwiNet for the tech transfer sector is that we can also help to be a bit of a front door for the many investors and businesses in New Zealand that are potentially looking to gain access to to technology within some of our universities and research institutes. And we've, through our private sector engagement team, we have quite a vast um, black book or database of, of networks and contacts that they, they, they manage and curate. And there's lots of ways in which we, we look after those people. We almost have different engagement levels. We have um, uh, people that we know are sort of vaguely interested and like to be kept up to date, all the way through to people that we know are actively looking for opportunities. And so those, um, say, VCs that are, are looking to actively looking to invest and are looking for deals, we have a much um, deeper level of engagement with them, particularly giving them early identification of projects that are coming through the pipeline and non-confidential summaries. We help to broker introductions to the teams within the tech transfer offices that are looking after different projects, as well as giving them the opportunity to attend our investment committees. So we have quite a nice model with our investment committee is that um, we have ways for uh, VCs or angel investors to be able to attend the meetings under confidentiality arrangements to be able to see the presentations of the projects so they can have the first-hand opportunity to see the the projects but also to be able to network with the, the key players in, involved. And then in terms of industry, we have an organisation, an innovation agency in New Zealand called Callaghan Innovation and they have a role to help New Zealand businesses to increase their R&D and to increase how uh, increase the level of, of technology innovation. And so we work quite closely with them to help New Zealand businesses to access some of the opportunities that are coming through our pipeline. What about philanthropic or government organizations? Do you have much involvement in terms of partnerships there? I think one thing that's unique about New Zealand versus, say, the US is we don't quite have the same ecosystem of philanthropic organisations, or even in the UK, that have uh, money available to invest into the sorts of things that, that KiwiNet do. And particularly, um, one of the strengths I would observe of the US system is 
this wonderful kind of rich network of alumni that are looking to um, to give back to to their their institutions and potentially provide funds for for the sorts of things that that we would do around tech transfer and entrepreneurship it's something that is um, starting to evolve very slowly but um, we really don't have have many examples of that one thing I would say is we're extremely grateful to the Norman F Barry Foundation in New Zealand which is a trust that was set up um, to to invest in charitable initiatives that were going to give back to the community, and they provided um, a substantial amount of initial funding to get our emerging innovator program going um, several years ago. So that's probably been one example where we have been able to um, tap into much-needed philanthropic funding. We're actually at the moment um, running a, a Pledge Me campaign or like a GoFundMe campaign to help to raise money, further money for our Emerging Innovator Program because it's been so successful and we're getting such demand on it. We just really see the opportunity to scale that as something that can make a massive impact for New Zealand. And we're, we're trying to tap into that um, sense of, of opportunity and impact um, to see if we can we can secure some further philanthropic funds through some of the angel networks and other organisations in New Zealand through that campaign. So now I come to the what I like to refer to as the fun part of the podcast. So success stories. So I wanted to ask the two of you if you wanted to share some of your success stories in terms of successful technologies or startups, whatever you'd like to share. Oh, so many to choose from. Yes, May, so many. That's awesome. I love when my guests have a hard time choosing. And a lot of times they tell me it's like trying to choose between your children, which I completely understand. <laughs> Well, one of my favourite children is uh, <laughs> one that actually came out of here uh, from Waikato University called Liga um, Polymers. And what they do is um, it's a biopolymer that you can target to capture different molecules so that they go from anything from the tannery waste, chromium and tannery wastes, for example, um, to and, and it's it's been a fantastic journey um, to see it come out of the Waikato and to go through startup. And in fact, my brother actually is working there as the head engineer. So maybe that's why, why it's one of my favorite. <laughs> Very cool. Cool. And I think um, for me, I mean, like I say, there's, there's so many to choose from. And I often reflect that, you know, for so many of these spin out companies, it literally is that kind of 10 year overnight success, mm-hmm. right? And it's always interesting to see that a lot of them leave the KiwiNet pipeline and then take, you know, there's still several years um, for which they kind of graft and try and raise capital and before they, they get to success. And for a lot of my favourite case studies, those um, that success is, is still playing out. Um, one thing that's been an interesting observation over the last few years, though, is I think because the commercialization, the tech transfer ecosystem within New Zealand has become much more sophisticated and mature over the last few years. We're starting to see the time frame to success and impact starting to shorten because I think the whole system, you know, and I talk about this as broadly as possible, including VC, we're getting much better at it. And I think we're able to kind of learn from the things that didn't go well previously and actually incorporate that into the new opportunities that we're progressing. Um, but if I was to pick one or two that are my favourite at the moment, I would probably pick um, a newish spin out from um, Uni- uh, Victoria University of Wellington called Liquium. And what they've done is they've come up with a new way of synthesising ammonia. So if you think about the way that we've made, you know, ammonia for over 100 years is we get nitrogen gas and hydrogen gas 
basically cook them up under huge temperatures and pressure, huge amount of energy to make something that basically drove the green revolution and is, you know, Fertil- forms the basis of fertilizers that we use to um, to grow all of our food. And so they come up with a clever catalyst that basically um, enables that to happen at a much lower temperature and pressure. And so they're looking at um, different ways in which they can disrupt um, not just the um, the ammonia supply chain, but actually looking at applications in hydrogen storage and particularly around marine transport is probably one of the first cabs off the rank that they're exploring with that at the moment. So that's a really exciting opportunity and particularly resonant because it potentially has an opportunity to make a major um, impact on on climate change if we were to really crack that nut. But, you know, early days for them, they're getting a lot of interest from VC in New Zealand and internationally, and I'm just really excited about what the, the future holds for Liquium. Another favourite of mine at the moment, again, and still in quite early early stages, is a startup called X-Frame. And um, X-Frame has been led by one of our emerging innovators, Jed Finch. And what he he's an architect by by training, and he's developed a whole new modular building system, which essentially aims to eliminate waste and reduce the amount of raw materials being used by the building sector. And that's really important at the moment, particularly in New Zealand, where we've got a, a housing crisis. And I think that, you know, this is happening all over the world at the moment, but particularly in New Zealand where house prices are just going through the roof, we've got a shortage of housing stock. And what Jed's system does is it really helps to um, reduce um, sort of costs and wastes around building materials so that when they get to the end of life, they can be recycled. It's a bit like Lego, mm. um, sort of internal um, sort of Lego framing, but really kind of clever in the way it sort of it works together. And so that's um, in terms of impact for New Zealand, I think that's a really exciting um, project that's coming through at the moment that um, that Jed is leading. And again, in early, early stages of the spin out, but they've um, been able to raise some early capital. Um, he's been working with a um, incubator, funnily enough, in Adelaide in Australia um, to help to initially develop that. And um, we'll be excited to see how, how X-Frame goes over the next few years. Another success story that we've been particularly proud of is Calicurb. And this came out of one of our Crown Research Institutes, Plant and Food Research, and really stems from some of the unique uniqueness of New Zealand in terms of our horticultural sector, and that they discovered an extract from hops that has an appetite suppressant property. Oh, wow. And what they've done is they've they've partnered up with a, a local company here in New Zealand to form a new joint venture. And uh, Calicurb is essentially a, a dietary product that helps people to lose weight. And what's been really interesting about this pro- project is, that, again, that sort of short time frame to getting out into market and to actually generating some pretty impressive revenue is, again, really pulls together all of the kind of the learning and experience that's been developed over the last 10 years is that I think they were able to get from coming to see our investment committee to, for funding through to actually getting into the US market with this Calicurb product uh, within the space of a couple of years, which was, wow. which was really impressive. And again, what the, you know, it's, it's quite neat is that it's been, essentially it stops you from feeling hungry, mm-hmm. which is quite a unique mode of action for, for diet pills. And um, it's been, been pretty successful and they're really going from strength to strength. Wow, that's really amazing. Um, and you've mentioned some really great success stories, but with success also comes challenges. So I'm curious what you would say maybe two of KiwiNet's biggest challenges are. We've been really lucky 
for KiwiNet the last 10 years and the system in New Zealand and generally that we've we've really gone from strength to strength. But I would say there's probably a couple of challenges that, that I would focus on, if anything, opportunities. In New Zealand at the moment, our government is currently undertaking a big review and restructure of our research, science and innovation system. And this will probably be the biggest shift in how we do science and innovation that we've seen in 30 years. So we're looking at organisational structures, we're looking at funding, we're looking at career development for researchers and the whole the whole gambit from knowledge creation all the way through to impact to sort of help help the science system in New Zealand to deliver better value and more prosperity for New Zealanders. And so it's a really good opportunity to have a hard look at how things have been going and what works well and how we might structure our system. And, you know, learning from overseas and also bringing in the unique aspects of the New Zealand system to to shape our system in a new way. And so I'd say that's a challenge in the sense that often tech transfer and commercialization can get overlooked or is misunderstood and the role in it that it has to play and generate an Im- impact and really helping our powers that be and our stakeholders broadly to understand that commercialization is not about making money per se. It's about providing a pathway to impact to get technology out into the world. And hey, yes, there'll be some there'll be some financial return and there'll be economic impact along the way. But that's not really the the ultimate goal. And so really making sure that as we work through the science system restructure, really we're putting commercialization, tech transfer, KiwiNet and the ecosystem that we've created really at the heart of the the, the knowledge exchange pathways that are going to be important for New Zealand's future. So I'd say on one hand, it's a challenge, but equally it's an opportunity to be able to scale and really build on what we've created and actually look at what the, how we can take it to the next level. And I think the second thing is really more looking at our community, at our, our family of, of organisations, the KiwiNet whānau, and, and actually acknowledging that over 10 years, we have evolved. So the original purpose for what Kiwi, which KiwiNet was set up to achieve was really just to create a collaborative mechanism to, um, to allocate our proof of concept funding. And as, the, as the, the collaboration has evolved, we've always solved our initial problem that we were set up to fix and that we now make up a vast majority of New Zealand's public research organisations that are working together and have really strong relationships and are collaborating for success for the benefit of New Zealand. And so now our purpose has almost evolved into one that is about, right, well, how do we actually now grow this? How do we actually really get match fit and actually continue to scale our space to um, to really maximise benefit for New Zealand? And I think the, the, the headspace and perhaps where each of our institutions are at within that new purpose is all quite different. So all of the institutions have all evolved in different ways and they've overall everyone's got better and we've become more sophisticated. But that's also meant that we've got more diversity in needs and approaches. And so I think there's a challenge in that in that as we're now evolving and as we're trying to kind of redefine well what is our purpose into the future, how do we make sure that we do that in a way that harnesses that collaborative spirit on which we were founded, but also acknowledges that there's no one-size-fits-all approach here and that we have to be really responsive to the individual needs of our, of our institutions 
and making sure we're giving our individual TTOs what they need to enable them to be the best possible versions of themselves. So James and May, um, I wanted to switch gears a little bit and talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I know you've mentioned several items already that KiwiNet has. You've mentioned some Maori engagement. You've also mentioned the Women in Leadership Development Program. I wanted to see if you wanted to talk uh, in a little bit more detail about these programs as well as any other initiatives that you might have going on. Absolutely. And I think straight off the bat, I would say that both our diversity inclusion and our Māori engagement work. These are real long-term programs because what we're trying to do here is address quite entrenched and fundamental issues with the science system and in some ways New Zealand society as a whole. And, you know, the role for a a small organisation like KiwiNet to play in tackling some of those quite entrenched and widespread issues is, is going to be quite specific, but also we're looking at at making a difference over a longer term. Um, but I mean, starting with diversity and, and inclusion, I mean, certainly as an unapologized feminist myself, I, I just think if we look at the science system in New Zealand, we've got a terrible track record in terms of um, equity of access, particularly gender diversity um, within a lot of the, the populations. We, we, you know, Even if we start with our student populations and we work our way through to um, early career researchers, uh, tenured staff in our institutions, and including our tech transfer officers, there's, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. So some of the approaches that we've taken are around, firstly, perhaps stepping away from trying to set kind of necessarily targets around particular groups, but actually saying that diversity of thought is really important. So if we take a diversity of thought approach, we can say that regardless of what particular group that we're looking at, it's important to have diversity. And so some of the clever uh, mechanisms that and programs that may have has developed is around thinking about how we do diversity of thought scores for our boards and when we're doing recruitment and appointments thinking about doing some of that that assessment up front to sort of understand how new hires or new appointments will fit into the overall diversity of thought within our our different groups committees the KiwiNet team etc i mean because ultimately when if we're thinking about success and commercialization Success comes from not having a whole bunch of um, of people that look and sound and think the same exactly. all trying to solve the problem. Exactly. It's about having a whole range of different perspectives. So I think that's probably a unique perspective that we can bring to the diversity, equity and inclusion piece um, from a KiwiNet side. And then some of the specific initiatives that we've done around the Women in Leadership Development Program with Branded Capital have just been amazing because, again, that's sort of saying, look, there's a role that we can play, particularly from a gender um, equity perspective to give um, women leaders that are coming up through the science system the opportunity to develop their governance skills and perhaps the governance landscape in New Zealand that still looks very um, looks very male dominated certainly very age group dominated and certainly um, uh, you know more kind of uh, European um, sort of dominated as well so there's some ways in which we can help through specific initiatives and. In terms of the work that we're doing around Māori engagement, so I think the thing that fascinates me about our um, wonderful strength that we have in our Indigenous community in New Zealand is that Māori were innovators from the start. 
is if you think about what it took for a population of people that were based in the Pacific and the uh, islands of the Pacific to navigate hundreds of kilometers across the ocean to then establish new settlements in Aotearoa, New Zealand, and everything that that took around navigation, around technology, seafaring, um, actually growing new crops and establishing communities and thriving in a new country, that's about as innovative as you get. So if we think about that as an opportunity for New Zealand, why wouldn't we want to harness and acknowledge that and actually, you know, and, and nourish that and celebrate it. So for me, I, I just see that as a, just a wonderful opportunity to harness some of that thinking and that worldview to, to benefit Māori, but also to benefit all New Zealanders. And so for me, that that is kind of the size of the prize. And again, it kind of brings in this opportunity to move, uh, to sort of enrich our sort of perhaps traditional ways and modes in which we think from a Western paradigm about how we might do commercialization or how we might, you know, to use the word exploit technology in a way that brings in different perspectives. The wonderful thing about um, our opportunity for working with Māori is that the, the overall, um, what's important for Māori uh, really, are, are, it's, it's long term. So, you know, if we look at um, their role of guard, as guardians of our land, our resources, and our and people in New Zealand. Then, if we think about the the size of the prize for commercialisation and tech transfer, it's about bringing new technologies into the world that can make a meaningful difference to environment, to people, and to our well-being. And so, those aspirations are important to Māori as well. But we're not just talking about something that's short term. We're talking about not just now, but far into the future. So there's a very much an intergenerational approach. So a lot of the ways in which we're starting to have conversation with Māori about really trying to focus on those shared aspirations and then, then building from there. And then when it comes to some of the initiatives that we're supporting, the first step for us is about helping our KiwiNet community to build up their own cultural competency. So where we can help to um, expose them to some of the the unique history of New Zealand from a Māori perspective and to understand some of the principles of the Māori world and the Māori worldview and how it can resonate with them and how it relates to them, particularly as New Zealanders, so that we're almost on that kind of shared understanding and we have that empathy to be able to kind of work together rather than feeling that we're we're coming at it from from different sides of the fence. So there's a whole lot of work that we're doing around cultural competency um, that really forms the focus of 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 this long term um, approach towards how we're we're doing better to um, to we're doing better by um, by by Māori and New Zealand and honouring our obligations under our founding document, which is the Treaty of Waitangi. Yeah, it's very impressive all that you're doing. Um, so very, very interesting. So thank you for sharing those. So James and May, I generally like to close a podcast by asking my guests if they could have any three wishes granted or a vision realized for either KiwiNet or tech transfer in New Zealand, what would that be? So we have colluded on this one and we've come up with a good three. <laughs> there was no collusion. <laughs> no collusion anywhere else in this podcast, right? <laughs> So the first, the first wish I think we would really love is that government understood and bought into what tech transfer is, how it sits in the ecosystem, how it contributes to innovation, and what it what it actually the value of it 
to the to the whole country is something that um, we're finding that we continually need to keep our messaging, our communications to government. As as governments come in and out, people in the ministry change. We continually need to do that, and to have a collective buy-in from government at that higher level would be pivotal and change how how a whole ecosystem what we do looks like so that would be our first wish and then following on from that is number two which is that we have resources for tech transfer commercialization and including the role of KiwiNet within that that are commensurate with the level of research funding that we have in New Zealand I mean that's the tantalizing opportunity we've got a wonderful science base in New Zealand that actually punches above its weight by a lot of international measures particularly around publication and wouldn't it be great if we had a tech transfer uh, function resources that actually matched that that research footprint? And then the third thing is that within all of that, we would love it if all New Zealanders, including our government, including Māori, including the public, really kind of understood and valued what we do and actually were bought in and supported of our, our vision. And I think you know, that's, we're making really good progress on so many of those fronts. But it, again, it kind of speaks to the advantage that we have in New Zealand, that we're small enough. It's a bit like a village and that we really can take a team approach if we decide to do something. If I look at the success that New Zealand's had with things like rugby and the America's Cup um, sailing, you know, where we're performing at levels that are much higher than perhaps what we should be as a nation, it makes me think, what if we were to get really match fit and to get the whole team working together, the team of 5 million New Zealanders working together to help create impact through tech transfer and commercialisation from our cutting-edge science so that we can have a benefit New Zealand, create prosperity here, but actually tackle some of the big global challenges that the whole world is facing. So I think for me, that's, uh, well, both of us, those are the, those are the three things on our wish list. Those are three great wishes, and I have no doubt that you and your team will will get there. So best of luck to all of you on that. Thank Thank you. you. Well, James and May, I can't thank you enough for all your insights and time today. This has been an absolute pleasure. If any of our listeners want to reach out and ask either of you any questions, where can they reach you? Sure. Well, we always love to hear from people that are interested in what we do. So my email address is james at kiwinet.org.nz. And I definitely encourage your listeners out there to go and have a look at my TEDx talk that's available from about a year and a half ago. And that talks a little bit more about some of the other things we're doing at KiwiNet and our broader kind of aspiration for New Zealand. And to reach me, you can email me at, to be slightly different, mlow at kiwinet.org.nz. So M-L-O-W at kiwinet.org.nz. Well, great. Thank you both so much again. It's been really great to have this opportunity to talk to the two of you. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you for listening to Technology Transfer IP. Please visit us online for more resources at techtransferipforum.com. New to Tech Transfer or a seasoned pro? Autumn is the global member organization for Tech Transfer and is here to help you get connected, get smart, and get ahead. Whether you work in academia, research, government, business development, corporate engagement, or startups, 
Autumn is dedicated to supporting you through education, advocacy, networking, and promotion. Join and you'll receive 20 free live webinars, as well as meaningful discounts on meetings and courses, insider access to a vast network of colleagues to help you through challenges, and a line on new technologies and the university decision makers who license them. Membership is open for 2023. Join us.